Kevin, welcome back home. Hey, Mike. Thank you. How, how do you feel? You uh, So you drove cross country and you're back in uh, Prescott, Arizona. Mm-hmm. You are on your way to getting out of the military, transitioning. Yep. Pretty currently. close. Yeah. yeah. Pretty close. How, how close are you? Uh, I've already done all my medical shit. I'm waiting for the VA to get back to me with my rating. And if they give me a decent rating and I sign it, then they cut me orders to get out of the army in 90 days. So it'd be like 60 days terminal leave, 10 days permissive TDY, and then 10 days to clear. So once they get back to me, which should happen in the next month, six weeks, then I, I'm within 90 days to be in the civilian, which is crazy after 24 years. Uh, how does that feel? What do you, I mean, what do you feel like knowing it's that part of your life is going to come to an end and then you're going to experience kind of a new life that you're kind of doing right now a little bit, but how does that feel? I'm excited. I'm excited. 24 years in the army, um, 18 in special forces. But, you know, if I'm being honest and anybody will tell you this, once you're done with team time and being a team sergeant, it's all staff work after that. Yeah. So leaving a staff job is not hard. Leaving a team like like you did, right? You were still at the operational level, even though you're Sergeant Major. The um, Leaving that is harder than leaving a staff job. Staff jobs suck. You know, let's be honest. Do you, when you're going to a staff job, staff job, do you have to create the mindset of kind of justifying what you do on a daily daily basis? Like if you didn't, like your job in force modernization was relevant to the force. Yeah. And so, but some jobs aren't. I mean, yeah. You could a be, lot of them. Yeah. You could be S3 air mm-hmm. and it's just like, you're just ticking away. Nightmare. Yeah. So when I finished my team sergeant time, I uh, went to be a first sergeant at the... Uh, non-commissioned officer academy. So I ran a leadership course for civil affairs, psyops and SF junior NCOs. Mm. So I really felt like it was a great opportunity to coach, train and mentor like junior people in the regiment on what NCOs are supposed to do and what they're supposed to to be, you know? So that was a very rewarding job. I I heard stories from people who knew you during that time period and spoke highly of you. Yeah, I, I, I smoked that ass, you know what I mean? Which but, I, didn't, I didn't speak highly of anybody when yeah, we went through all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, the instructors uh, got a little bit of a culture shock when I took over because the, the first sergeants they'd been used to went there once or twice a week, closed their door and worked on college. I didn't. I I, I, uh, I was there every day. I was there on weekends. I, I, I buried myself in that. I, I, I took it very, very seriously. And... Um, that it was all it wasn't about the instructors it was about the students which which it should be it's about the product that you that this was the first time that these young soldiers saw soft NCOs they'd been through selection but that's that's herding cats that's not being taught much you know and uh, this is the first impression they had of of soft NCOs so I, I took that really really seriously but when I left that job I went to Force Mod which. We, we managed to do a lot of really good things. We, we transitioned from 308 to 6.5 Creedmoor. We built the ASR and dozens and dozens of programs. But the, um, the acquisitions process in the SOCOM community and the Army community is a nightmare to walk through. It's, it's, it's a shit show of bureau- bureaucracy and red tape that you have to navigate. And it's extremely frustrating. And how, it, how many years does it take you to figure out that job? So when I get a new guy who comes, so I ran the shop and we had eight commodities and each commodity had pretty much two Green Berets working in it, uh, senior NCOs. A lot of them had already been team sergeants and I hand selected them. So gun experts, truck experts, guys with mobility experience from groups like third group or fifth group from downrange. 
So I tried to hand select as many guys as I could. And then I had some PSYOPs, NCOs that ran the PSYOPs commodity. So when they get there, they're not hired for their acquisitions knowledge. They're hired for their operational knowledge because they have to write the specifications on the equipment we need. But you have to know acquisitions. To, you have to know the rules so you can circumvent them and avoid them. You know what I mean? And Because yeah. yeah, it, it should be, the whole process should be about getting equipment to the warfighter quickly. And it's not. The whole process is about, to be honest, it's about getting officers promoted and getting civilians, keeping them in their job. And it is that a stepping stone for officers as far as promotion? It's not a great stepping stone. So again, you don't get the best officers, right? The best officers go to operational commands and then other ones get pushed to the, to the places, to staff jobs, you know, and to SWIC. But you have to know the rules of acquisitions to navigate around them and circumvent them. So when a new guy came to work for me, we make him do like a, a ton of online training. And then he has to do a two-week course called the, the Combat Development Course. And it takes him about eight months to a year to learn the job to a basic level where he knows what he's doing. It's that complicated. It really is. Like I worked there for about four and a half years, and I still learn stuff all the time on the, the acquisitions process. It, it's a nightmare to, to circumnavigate, you know? It sounds really boring. Oh, it's brutal. It's fucking brutal. So... At, at the operational level where the, the guys who work for me worked, they got to go out and test equipment and go to optics yeah. companies and see how optics are built. So it's really interesting for them. But the manager of that. But me, good Lord, death by boredom. So it became a really frustrating job for me later on. So leaving, nah, I'm, I'm looking forward to putting it all behind me. Well, we just had our first uh, 2020 meet, which is, I mean, it's New Year's Eve. Right. By the time you guys hear this podcast, this is the first podcast of the year, so this... Happy New Year! Um, so I've been here. For, I've been here for twelve hours. I've yeah. already done a, a training meeting. You made me go on a run with you, and I'm doing a podcast. That's it. And I've been on the ground for like you've been hazed. less than twelve hours. You've been hazed what already. The fuck is going I on? I met drug you through mud. <laughs> um, so the training meet we had was about a four hour meeting about the vision for 2020, and I want to talk about some of the things that we're going to do in 2020, but also how you play into uh, 2020. Now. Officially, your title is military contract and sales, which is a, a pretty broad mm -hmm. um, title in the realm of training and equipment. We do equipment. We're, we're getting equipment into the hands of the military, law enforcement, civilians in different means, and we're also doing training. We focused a lot of our talk today about training and specifically kind of each person's role in training. My role being I'm going to I'm doing the new period of instruction for a new survival course utilizing Austin our media guy who's a ex-seer guy in the Air Force. Um Raul's doing a basically a civilian survival course slash mill LEO survival course for being your own first response. So combatives tied in with pistol but using simulations or UTM uh very realistic, very scenario based. And then for you, we're looking at doing a DMR course. Mm -hmm. Now, you already teach long gun courses for Fieldcraft. What's going to be different with the DMR versus a long gun course? What is the difference? Well, um, first of all, that, that training meeting was a bit of an eye-opener because the shortcoming for Fieldcraft is calendar time. We have so many ideas and so many skill yeah, sets that yeah. there's just not enough time in the calendar to get to them all. up to April. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I was like, Damn. But uh, yeah, long gun stuff is, um, it's a little, 
harder to teach because you absolutely have to teach some sort of ballistics. You need to know why bullets are doing what they do, you know? Why, why do you think that is? I've heard that before. Mm. Is it because you have an understanding of things like these small variables and inputs that you could make better decisions with? What, yeah, what is that? I mean, I could take anybody out now to a range, put them on a gun, dial it in for them and have them hitting the target. Monkey a on mile. a gun. I yeah. mean, you just, but you have no idea why. Yeah. You need to understand the, the internal, external, and, and to a lesser extent, the terminal ballistics of why the bullet does what it does. It gives you better, makes it more rewarding. And then when you miss, you know why you miss. Okay, yeah. that went high. It was the standard deviation in muzzle velocity that caused You know what I mean? You need to know that. For a DMR course, it, the facilities are harder to train long gun like that because you need a classroom. You need, and then you need a long run. You need at least 800 to 1,000 meters to get, to get the full value from it, you know? So not everywhere can you get that. But DMR, I can, I can run to a police 500-yard um, range. I can teach you a little bit about ballistics just on the, on the range setting. I can run a 1 to 6 variable powered optic. I can even run a red dot and show you where to hold. Talked a little bit about bullet drop and stuff like that. And then uh, run alternate positions, lots of alternate positions and um, movers. We, we've talked about trying to incorporate movers in there because after the first shot's taken, they're all movers, right? And uh, you could get a lot from that in, in five-hour block of instruction for designate marksmen out to 500 meters with a 5.56 gun. What do you, um, what's, the, what's the basic requirement for that? Because I hear people talk about DMR, which... What does that stand for? Designated marksmanship. Designated marksmanship. Yeah, the mar yeah. Designated marksman rifle is actually what the acronym is. It, it's, the Army tried to get into it with the, they took the, uh, the M14 yeah. and, all, yeah, and, and tried to get into it. And it's basically what we would have called um, gas gun work or urban work that we did in Iraq. Up on a roof, 400 yards, um, pretty in close, you know. Um, with 400 yard shots, you can get away with a lot. Wind's not affecting the bullet that much, um, but it's all alternate positions. That that solid, stable, durable, prone position doesn't really exist, especially in an urban environment. And then you, because they're closer targets, you should be shooting everything alternate positions. Because if you can shoot it, for, if you can hit it from a knee, you can hit it from the prone all day long. But you 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 shouldn't be staying on your belly all the time, especially for urban stuff. And then for us, we'd shoot body armor and helmet as opposed to, you know, field gear or ghillie suits or stuff like that. Um, is that is that is DMR kind of like the go-between between close proximity and yeah. long range? Yeah, to me, to me... Uh, well, we, we did that. I mean, we did, we did that a lot in 07. We did a lot of it. Talk about that a little bit because we were in the GWAT during the evolution mm. of kind of changing tactics at the, at the really the tip of the spirit we were, task and we force. were kind of making it up as we went along yeah. and we were backpacking if you remember yeah, sr25s yeah. like ar10s because you can't clear a building with an ar10 at least i can't i'm too small um the uh so we backpacked ar10s and carried 10.3 inch 556 guns to with a red dot sights to do cqb to clear the objective move to the roof and then pull the SR-25s out to do long gun. Now, if I had to do it, I'd run a 14.5 carbine, 5.56, with a 1 to 6 variable powered optic, which we just uh, down selected for SOCOM. So then you can power that down to one power. You get a very bright red dot, which you can use to, to clear a building for CQB, get on the roof, dial it up to 6 power, and hit anything within 400 yards. Easy day. And it's easier to, to maneuver, and you're only carrying one gun. What about the... Uh Somebody just recently asked me, and I know the answer to this, but I kind of want to get your input on barrel twist 
an optimal barrel length. We mm-hmm. had 14.5 mm-hmm. SOCOM uh, heavy barreled uppers, which is a standard issue uppers, mm-hmm. and then we kind of optimized those a little bit. Yeah. I even have the original pictures where we sent the PowerPoint where we used LaRue uppers mm-hmm. um, that were just modified Picatinny rails so we could get more real estate with the accessories. Like yeah. we had PVS 27s, but we couldn't mount them on the mm-hmm. top of our guns because a DMR gun didn't have the real estate with only a six inch Picatinny rail. Mm-hmm. So with a laser, you had a side mount lasers, side mount uh, uh, weapon lights, and it got really crazy. Yeah, it is a one one in nine twist versus one in seven twist. What's the optimal solution for that? Um, heavier bullets like a, a heavier, a tighter twist rate. To to so one in seven, one in nine, they're all they're all fine for a five five six gun. Mm-hmm. So when you get up into three hundred eight and six five three more and two sixty Remington and even three hundred Norma Magnum. And 300 wind mag, a tighter twist rate gives that bullet gyroscopic stability at longer, longer range. You yeah, know? I, th- I remember Todd Hunt talking about he was going to one to eights mm-hmm. on 308 gas yeah, guns. Yeah, that's pretty much the standard now for, oh, is for it? newer ones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even for the 300 Norma Magnum that we're going to feel for the advanced sniper rifle, yeah. one to eight. It so gives it, the 6.5? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it Ooh. gives it better stability at longer range. You're going to get more spin drift at longer range, but it's a secondary effect, you know? Because it's just revolving so fast. Yeah, yeah, it's spinning it earlier, you know, and t- yeah. tighter and uh, holding it longer. But with with the uh, barrel length for 5.56, five, another uh, benefit to the job I just came out of, I've, I've access to a lot of ballistic data and FBI studies and stuff like that. So... Um, the optimal, like a 10.3 inch barrel, which we've ran for years, is great for CQB, but it's not great for longer range. 11.5 is the sweet spot now for barrel length for 5.56. Really? It gives it enough gyroscopic stability and good terminal, good uh, ballistics to stabilize the bullet for longer shots. Now, obviously, a 14.5 is going to give it more muzzle velocity and more stability at longer ranges, but you put a suppressor on the end of a 14.5, yeah, it weird. becomes long for yeah. CQB, right? So. But we're going to, re- or we're looking at in SOCOM replacing the ten threes with eleven fives now huh. in the future with Geisley rails and, yeah. and then it'll be the URGI version. Uh, we just replaced the uppers with the, the upper receiver group improved with Geisley rail. Um, Daniel's Defense hammer forged barrel with a mid length gas system, which slows that bolt down and, and gives less shit back in the in the shooter's face and is a little easier on the bolt. So we were looking at at. When we upgrade the uh, 10.3s to go to 11.5s, which makes it long enough that it's not unbearable and you can still use it inside vehicles and stuff like that, but it gives it that extra ballistics so it flies better and it's got a little better terminal ballistics when I hit the target. So the FBI did extensive studies on this and that, that's pretty much the sweet spots for a short gun that's got good uh, ballistics. Yeah, it's optimized. Mm-hmm. I, I want to. I, I'm going to build a new uh, carbine here for 2020. Um, but I want to set up an 11.5. Yeah. The, the BCM that runs 10.3, I think the Triarch one that runs 10, mm-hmm. but I want to build an 11.5. 11.5 is not obnoxious. It's, it's, yeah. it's short enough, but but it, it's, and again, you get that extra rail so yeah. you can, you know, stick some stuff on it, you know? So Daniel Defense is the upper? Daniel's Defense. So we issued a kit. If we had done an upper pure, we would have had to do, because of federal acquisitions law, we would have had to do a full and open competition for every manufacturer in the country, right? And everybody who builds an upper in his garage would be allowed to compete. And then we'd have to test every one of those uppers with 
thousands of rounds through each one, which means I got to pay contractors a crane to shoot all those bullets. I got to buy the ammunition. It would take years and cost millions of dollars. That's the acquisitions process. It's a fucking nightmare. It's designed to stop fraud, but it just adds years to it, right? Whereas if we did a kit, which was uh, stuff that was currently already a program of record. Yeah. So we did a Geisley Rail, Daniel's Defense, and we tested all this stuff extensively. The thing people don't understand is when I put stuff in the hands of a warfighter, it has to work, and it has to work every single time because if I put a new trigger in a Glock and it malfunctions, somebody dies. Like your sidearm and soft is a reserve parachute. It absolutely has to work every single time. So if I want to replace a, a, a trigger in a Glock, I have to test it for probably a year. I probably have to spend a million dollars testing it because I got to shoot thousands of rounds through multiple guns to make sure it works every single time. The bang is just not worth the buck. The stock mm. trigger on the Glock's a good trigger. And again, it's a reserve parachute. It, it has to work every time you pull it out. So that's what makes the acquisitions process so long. So in order to do it quickly, we down-selected the... Um, the rail at range 37, we give- What does down select mean? We, we just pick them. We okay, pick yeah. what we're going we're gonna to put on there. So we went to range 37, so it's not just us, and we- uh, That's we, a special forces schoolhouse. Yeah, yeah, it's a schoolhouse, and it's got representative representation from every group, because you have Green Berets from there, from teaching from every oh, group. That's a good point. So it's an easy place yeah. to go for us to get feedback on sniper guns and CQB, and these guys are experts, right? Yeah. Even though the guys that work for me are all experts too, you can't make- these narrow decisions. You have to get a bunch of input, right? So instead of going to all the groups and it taking years to get feedback, we go to Range 37 a lot and get their input. So we let them shoot all the rails and stuff and let them pick which rail they nice. thought was best, but they were already a, a program record. So that mid-length gas takes away that stupid front side post that we should have got rid of years ago. It puts a new, modern, lighter rail on there that you can put the rail wherever you want instead of that big cheese grid. Remember the one we had? Yeah. And it, uh, because it's mid-lent gas, it slows that bolt down a little bit and uh, puts less uh, carbon back in the shooter's face. It's easier on the bolt and it's just an all-around better system. So with that carbine and with the one to six variable powered optic we just down-selected, that's a 600 meter capability. Easy day that you can power down, do CQB, clear room, go to the roof, power back up to six power and go to work. So there's no J point... Offset aim point no, red dot. They already have those on the teams, and if they wanted to run that, it's there. That's yeah. what they prefer a forty-five degree offset. For yeah. they, that's a, that's an option for them, but there's not because you just power that thing down. And the eye box on that second focal plane scope is so big, it's like an EOTAC, honestly. Yeah. And when we when we initially it has a red dot in the center. It too, has a red dot. Yeah. yeah, an illuminated red dot in the middle, so you can do CQB with it, and then get the roof power back up to six power and go to work. It's, it's a really nice optic. I kind of want to talk about uh, just you mentioned range thirty seven tactics and your perception and perspective of uh, tactical instruction and experts and everything else because you know you have been to the shot show more times than anybody I know mm -hmm. you represented special operations command in several capacities whether it was uh, the NCIC of SODIC of uh, special forces sniper course or doing it for um, for force modernization. And you've seen over the past decade the coming and going and the evolution, if we call it that, of the tactical industry in space. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people out now that are training and they're using social media as a platform to push their marketing and you know uh, highlight their training companies. What is it, you know, we when we were on active duty 
I mean, you're still active, but when we were in on the teams, we would bring people in to teach. Mm-hmm. I mean, professional shooters, um, you know, tacticians, rarely, you know, the mm-hmm. Kyle Lamb maybe was the exception to that. We brought guys from range 19 and stuff. What, what is your opinion kind of on the whole that you're seeing uh, today as you're migrating into social media and everything else? <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, I would highly encourage people to do background checks on anybody you train with, you know, because there's a lot of people out there. I can put five pieces of steel up and shoot it 30 times and then turn the camera on and shoot it in seconds. You know, what I mean? it looks really good on social media, but I mean, that that's, that's muscle memory rather than skill yeah. set, you know? The thing that keeps soft, very, very cutting edge is the, the Special Forces Schoolhouse, which is like 100 schools. It's Dive School, Halo School, Sephardic, Sodic, all those schools, the Q course. What keeps them cutting edge is every year, Green Berets come back to be instructors. So you have a constant influx of guys coming from the, the battlefield. I remember an Israeli sniper I was training with, he, he, he said this to me, and I hadn't thought about it before. He was like, you guys have it figured out. Because what they did is they graduated somebody from sniper school and they went to the schoolhouse and they stayed there for the rest of their career, you know, which gives you good continuity, but they have no new guys coming back with the new TTBs. So a Green Beret would rather, rather set himself on fire than go to be an instructor and leave his team, right? But when you come up on Swick or if you're the senior guy, which happened to me, and you come up on Swick orders, you have to go to be an instructor for three years. Every year, new guys are coming in, and they have some civilians in every course to be that continuity that, to, you know, that, so they don't lose stuff. But every year, a new guy's coming in, and he's coming straight from the battlefield in Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria or wherever, and he's bringing the TTPs that currently work on the battlefield, which is great, you know. And then, like you said, we also, um, because you can, you can't only learn from your own guys, right? You have to bring in other people and get a different perspective, you know? But I look on social media now and, and I, you know, I, I understand that civilians who don't have a background in this can't probably tell the difference. But as soon as I see a guy shooting a string and transitioning to his pistol and shooting, I'm like, yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, you know? I, um, it's it, It's hard for me to even... It's very hard for me to even put into the words of a lot of the things that I see and and shaping the understanding of how irrelevant it really is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I always talk about the slalom, like dudes running slaloms. That's fine to run slaloms, running and gunning, but without the context, without the understanding for the person who's going through it, mm-hmm. then it just seems entertaining and fun. Mm-hmm. Like it's super fun to do that. Yeah. But what is the tactical uh, task and purpose? As long as they're not pushing themselves as tactical people. The first time I ever trained with Todd Hodnett for long gun stuff, we were the first unit ever to go to a Canadian Texas and train with him. And Todd's a rancher. The, the, Todd's a rancher and a cowboy. But the first thing Todd said was, I'm not a sniper. I am not here to teach you tactics. I'm a shooter. And, and he, he, exactly. And it, it gives him immediately, you're like, okay, I get it, you know? Yeah, but what's the difference in your but opinion? But I've done combative courses with a 16-year-old kid talking about killing people, and I'm like, stop, dude, yeah, you we've know? Gone through Fucking, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what's the difference between somebody who's just a shooter versus somebody who's teaching tactics? What is the difference between those two? I, I, I think... I, I got no problem with with a Ipsic Grandmaster teaching how to shoot. You know, those guys are good. Is it because he's validated? I think it's because he puts it out. I am not teaching tactics. I'm teaching, you know, shooting. 
you know? Todd Hodnett's a great long-range shooting instructor, you know? There's guys out there that can shoot IPSC. IPSC shooting in IDPA is shooting fast and accurate under pressure. That's almost like combat shooting, you know? But don't talk about CQB or, or, or tactics or what works in a gunfight because you don't know. You've never been there. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's always, it's there's like a fuzzy area for me in how yeah. to articulate um, the difference between even fundamentals and teaching tactics. Mm-hmm. My and Somebody made, made this point recently and they said, well, if you are moving with a gun, which is individual movement, techniques, which is a tactic mm-hmm. in FM 7-8, then you're teaching tactics. But then wouldn't moving with a gun be uh, you know, valid in USPSA? Because you but you're not move. moving and shooting. You're moving from a shooting box to a shooting box yeah. to engage a string. It's a little different, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a gray area right there. But I, I, it depends what you're looking for as a, as a student, right? If you're yeah. just looking for somebody to teach you how to shoot a pistol because you want to do IDPA or IPSC, fine. Have at it, you know? If you want somebody to teach you how to survive in a gunfight, and, and, and you know, uh, then that, that's a different thing. Yeah. I, I always, I always I, I think experience is the best teacher of anything. Yeah. Right. And if you don't have that experience, then you're lacking something. I always tell my, my students, it's, it's like, you should always ask the question why yeah. there's never, there's never a point in any tactical instruction or training, mm-hmm. uh, especially with scenarios where people are, are professing mm-hmm. and why you shouldn't ask why. I remember I was in basic training and they told me that we were doing bayonet training. I think this, I can't remember if this is in Ireland or America. I think it was in America, right? And I usually know to shut my mouth and just beat a student, right? But the guy was talking bravado, right? And he was like, stick the bayonet in him. And if it gets caught in his ribs, fire a shot. And that'll like launch it out. And I'm like, why are you bayoneting if, if, if you got bullets? Yeah. <laughs> and the bullets. guy was like, do fucking push-ups. And I was like, man, I shouldn't have asked that. That's funny. <laughs> and I remember that. Kill, kill, kill with yeah, Colby yeah. Still. It's like, uh, yeah. how about we kill with bullets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when, when we're... You know, you're coming out of the military and you're you're going out to teach. Um, do you have any concerns or fears about teaching outside of the regiment for the first time in, in this space? I like teaching, you know, and I like to teach people who want to learn, you know, and um, I, I find teaching very, very rewarding. So I, I really don't. I um it's it's pretty exciting for me to to look at the calendar and see what's coming you know what's coming up in the future and uh, I, I would like to build relationships with strong companies that I've dealt with while while in the last you know job or while I worked at Range Thirty Seven and stuff. People like would that. say that's a conflict of interest, right? But but I've now? never looked. No no no. I just mean I, I've I've always felt this from the communities when. Like you're in the military and special operations, you do build relationships mm-hmm. with gun companies. Mm-hmm. That's what you yep. do. Yeah, especially my companies. job. Yep. Yeah, especially. Yeah. And then somehow, I mean, most of the people that are our peers that got out who worked those positions work for those companies. I, I think there's a lot of companies that, because of my reputation, they'd be happy to work with me, but there's other guys they wouldn't work with because of their reputation, you know? Yeah. These companies are not going to put their name on on just anybody. Why would you... I mean, I know you can get a six-figure job with any one of these companies, but why why do you not do that, and why would you choose to work for us? <laughs> I don't want to deal with the drama, number one. Yeah. I want to do a fun job. Um, and then me and you have been friends for a long time, yeah. and um, I, I just want to do something fun. The, the last... Two years in the military was 
a bit of a nightmare. Honestly, that job wore me out and uh, kind of jacked me up a little bit. So I, I just, when I get out, I don't want to deal with the drama. I don't want to deal with it. With working here, I think will be almost like fun. One almost wouldn't be like a job, you know. Yeah, it's. I'm never, not a money guy. Never have yeah. been a money guy. I just want to have fun. And, We've and seen do the it. money guys. Yeah, we through. have. Yeah, I feel yeah. sorry for money guys because they're driven yeah. by money all the time, and uh, or just bullshit. Yeah. I just yeah. like why well, I, I don't get it. I, I don't. Yeah. I honestly don't get it. And even you know, in this in this job that I've been in for three four years, it's never felt like a job. Yeah, that's how I know I I'm I'm doing good. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I've been offered jobs, you know, but I don't want to deal with the stress yeah. and the bullshit and all that. I just don't want to fucking deal with it, you know. What, what's the first? Well, we, we got a whole bunch of things lined out for uh, 2020. Uh, do you have any? Um, resolutions does you does your brain even work that way do you no. do you go into a fiscal cycle because you've been used to work in october october in a military cycle mm-hmm. but do you go into a cycle this year and go well these are the objectives that i want to knock out personally outside of professionally have you ever even thought about yourself in the last no no that, no not really um I'm not a long-term planner, man. My whole career, I've just kind of bounced. I'll, I'll go do this, and then I'll go do this, and I'll go do this, you know? And um, it's probably not the best way to do things, hmm. but I, I, I've never been a five-year plan guy, you know? I'll, yeah. just, I'll just see how it goes year by year. Yeah. Um, kind of goes against, against planning, you know, long-term planning, but uh, the uh, we, we'll see how it goes. I don't have... My, my goal... In the next year is to help the company out, you know what I mean? And, and try and build the company. Yeah. That, that's the goal, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that's your goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just kissing ass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the the biggest thing, like you said, for us is having almost like a liaison to communicate to industry, mm-hmm. which we haven't had before. Because I'm so against industry because I don't like it, mm-hmm. but you've had to do it and build relationships and and I see, I know who the good gun companies are out there. I've dealt with them. Yeah, and who, the data, like the, uh, yeah, the yeah. nuts yep, yeah. and bolts of the, uh, how they operate. Yeah, and just almost as important is the company, right? Yeah. Um, because of federal law, we have to give a, a, an open forum to everybody. Everybody gets, we write the specifications. The gun must do this, 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 and this. And that's what my guys do. And then it goes to testing. And- Whichever gun meets all those requirements gets down selected, you know? So, but you look at the professionalism of certain companies and the unprofessionalism of other companies that I wouldn't touch. If they wanted to give us a massive contract, I'd talk you out of it because I wouldn't want to deal with them because I know they hire more lawyers than they do engineers and and they're just a shit show to work with, you know? And you wouldn't believe some of the big name companies that are like that. And there's other companies that are just awesome. And they're- they're Are there some companies that are still small business companies or small uh, family owned companies? Not for the military because they don't have the production capacity, you know. Yeah. Usually we deal with big companies, and um, any family owned still though. Uh, some some more optics type companies that are yeah. family owned that are that are still kind of small. But part of it, when you get a military contract for somebody like SOCOM, part of that vetting process is people have to go contracting officers have to go to your facility and make sure you can actually produce a thousand of these things a month or whatever the contract says you know so it's it's tough for small companies to compete 
for big projects like that. Now, they can subcontract some of the building and stuff like that, but most of them are bigger companies. But some of them are massive companies that are owned by bigger companies, and some of them are big companies that are family-owned and operated, but they're still big companies, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking of one in particular, but... Um, and I, I can say it. an example of that would be Barrett. Barrett's still a family-owned company. It's a phenomenal company, and uh, it's an American company that that makes excellent weapons. You know. Yeah. Well, you had professional, super. I've, we we've had this conversation, but we've had interactions with Barrett even at the Usasoc Sniper Con. Oh, they're phenomenal. Super professional. Oh, they're great. They're a great uh-huh. company, and and uh, they won the contract for the advanced sniper rifle for SOCOM, the big army, the Marine Corps. It's a massive contract, and. The, the, the problem with acquisitions, sometimes you write specifications, by the time it gets through all the bullshit and all that, it's three years later when you feel it, and there's something better out there. We started the ASR three, three and a half years ago, and it just got down selected, and it'll probably be fielded next year. Barrett won it. That Barrett MRAD is still the best gun in the world, in my opinion. It's a phenomenal system. Advanced it's a, sniper rifle, the right? The advanced sniper. It's a three-barrel system. 300 Norman Magnum is the anti-personnel round, 1,500 meter round. Uh, 308, and then uh, 338 Norman Magnum is the anti-material round that will replace the 50 cal Barrett in the big army, you know. So we, we worked that project. We've worked it for a couple of years. I was heavily involved in writing the specifications for that, and it got down selected for Barrett. They crushed every specification we put in front of them, and uh, right from the start, they were a pleasure to work with. They were f- totally focused on the customer. What do you guys need? What do you guys need? And... Uh, once guys get, if you haven't dealt with Barrett and you haven't run that gun, that MRAD, it, it's it used by a bunch of countries around the world. It's a phenomenal sniper rifle that will really, and Night Force won the optic contract for that. The Night Force ATAC R735 with a Tremor 3 reticle. You put that system in the hands of a Green Beret sniper, phew, that's long range kill. It's a bad day to be ISIS, man, because you might want to go AWOL if you're ISIS. Cause that's, Seven that's to fucking, 35 power? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's badass. I don't even know what to do with that kind it's of power. It's exciting. You know, the thing about having 35 power, you don't have to shoot a 35 power, but it's great for target ID. You yeah. can still back it down to 25 power if, if there's too much mirage, and you can still get, get great capability. That's one of the disadvantages of too much magnification is yeah, you mirage. over mm-hmm. Especially shooting mirage. with a suppressor and you got that mirage and you got that heat coming up, you know, but you yeah. can always back it down. Well, that's a, that's a huge, mm-hmm. we started off on the team, in the teams with 10 buys. 10 power scopes. 10 yeah. powers. Yeah. That and that wasn't that long ago, Mike. That was, it 10, was 10 years ago, yeah, you know? know, we've come a long way. I yeah. had like three of those scopes in my box. Like, when I'm yeah. Because yeah. they're like, hey, these are the Leopold Mark III Alphas. Yeah. We're getting rid of them. Like, yeah. So what are we doing with them? Uh, just throw them away. It's mm. like, uh, okay. Nice. I will. I'm sure you Straight did. Straight in the trash I'm, I'm I did. I'm sure you did. At, at headquarters. Yeah. I just yeah. threw it in the dumpster. I'm sure you did. Yeah. Um, so you're transitioning now off of active duty. Do you anticipate any any issues? Do you, do you feel uneasy about this, this situation or the settlement or the position? Or because you're transitioning into what we're doing now, which kind of seems like the mill. We just did PT. I know. We did a training meeting. I know. I know. <laughs> you yeah. have your green book here. We're going to get inspected tomorrow morning. Yeah. You know? We're going to do layouts tomorrow. I, I think, you know, I listened to your podcast with Tom Satterley, right? And and Tom, I think a couple of things that helped me not have shit tons of PTSD problems. There's a couple of things, and I've only been thinking about this recently. Number one is th- these guys go from 100 miles an hour in soft to zero. 
and uh, all of a sudden they're out of the army and they're at home watching Netflix and they don't know what the fuck happened and it fucks with them, you know? They freak the fuck out. They freak the fuck yeah. out, right? And I don't do well with time off. I have something to transition in, thank, thanks to you, right? That's one part. So you take that guy who ran 100 miles an hour his whole life and he's got nothing, then you pour alcohol on top of that. If you're a drinker, I've, I'm not a drinker, I don't drink, so that's another thing. So if I had nowhere to go at the end of my career and I was a drinker, I think I'd have massive mental problems. I really do. It's a recipe it for disaster. It fucks with you, right? Yeah. Then the other thing, and I was thinking about this too, when I, after our, in 2008 to 2011, against my will, I got sent to the schoolhouse to be an instructor at the sniper school, right? Which gave me a tactical break for those three years with people like Tom Satterley and you never had that, yeah. you know? And guys fight it and they try to maneuver not to have to do that. But it's actually a really good idea. I went kicking and screaming. I actually went out to Range 37 and said, look, I want to go on this trip in 08 because I was supposed to work with you with the ICTF snipes. And uh, Pete was the, the Sergeant Major and he was like, go shoot people in the face, come back next year and your job will be here waiting for yeah. you. And then the Sergeant Major of the unit at the time that you know wouldn't let me do it, you know? Uh, and I was pissed and I went there kicking and screaming and it actually was a very rewarding uh, tour and I got heavily embedded in the, like I'd been a sniper in the Irish Army and all, but th that was where I really got embedded in sniper stuff. Started shooting competitions and getting really good at shooting and, and look at me now, I'm transitioning in to do that in my civilian job because I love it so much. So that three-year tour that I didn't want to do was actually very rewarding to me. So when guys ask me now and they're on teams, hey, how do I get out of SWIC? I'm like, look, there's good jobs in SWIC. If you pick your job and you have the reputation that guys want you, there's great jobs. And it's actually great to take a knee and spend some quality time with your family and it will help you with longevity because the, the, the army gets on without you, man. The army will move on. Nobody's irreplaceable. <coughs> well, my thing too is it's, I hate to say it, but we need to force good guys to go back to the force to mm -hmm. teach the force because yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ideology when we were in the teams was everybody in SWIC was a shit bag. Yeah. Yeah. And the exception for that was range 37 mm -hmm. or potentially specialty Free schools. Free fall school. Free yeah. Fall yeah. Second battalion has all the, yeah. all the specialty schools, which yeah. generally grabs the best guys. And, but it is, the Q course is extremely important, you know? You have shitty instructors in the Q course, you're going to get a shitty product at the end, yeah. you know? And you we had some shitty ones. We did. I, 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 when I went for my interview to be a first sergeant out there with the uh, commandant at the NCO Academy, I said, look, Sergeant Major, I, I, when I went through the Q course, I saw some of the best instructors in my life and I saw some of the worst. And I, I, that, that stayed with me as I went through. I never wanted to be like those guys, you know? And I, I think as an instructor, you have to see it from the student's side. There's a time to get smoked and there's a time to all that. And there's a time to teach, coach, and mentor as well. But the Q course is extremely important. And they keep restructuring it for reasons that we can talk about if you want. But uh, they, uh, it, it's, it sets you up for, for moving forward. Uh, for that, that's the product, right? That's the green beret that comes off the end that goes to a team that goes down range a week later and, and is in a gunfight. So what's the status, because I don't know this, what's the status of the regiment now as far as just morale and everything else? Are, are dudes doing good? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, you know, the guys on the ground are always going to do well, right? Yeah. They're always going to crush whatever's put in front of them. Um, U.S. Army, in my opinion, again, um, 
has transitioned into a little bit of a peacetime army mentality. Back to the garrison. While we're still at war. Yeah. We still have people in gunfights all the fucking time, you know? Yeah, seventh group guy was just killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seventh group have been crushing it in Afghanistan, you know? Um, but people don't understand that because it, it, it doesn't make the news much, you know? But we still have people all over the world. And uh, most most civilians don't, don't understand that. So the guys are always going to do well. But the, the, the regiment and, and the U.S. Army has transitioned into a little bit of a peacetime army mentality, I think. Is it the task organization? We've always talked about this, even on active duty, that the task organization of the Special Forces Regiment and just how you have, uh, just take a company, for example. You have six officers that fall under one company commander, and they're all the team leaders in charge, and they're all fighting for the battalion command position yeah. or the company command position for ODA commanders. And then three only battalion or uh, company commanders who are fighting for the battalion command. So mm-hmm. it's just the cutthroat. The officer corps is very cutthroat. And the U.S. Army yeah. in general, not just soft, yeah. right? And then because, yeah, they're all trying to make that next rank number one and they're all trying to get a tactical command. And the, the best officers generally get tactical commands. Then you got to put the other guys somewhere, right? Where did they go? They go to staff jobs and they go to SWIC, the special forces uh, uh, schoolhouse, right? And then when they're in the special forces schoolhouse, they need OER bullets, right? They need a bullet on their evaluation report because if they don't make rank at a certain point in their career, they're gone. If you're in for 15 years and you don't make it 05, I think it is, gone, kicked out, no pension, no, no healthcare for your family. So, They've created this very cutthroat mentality, you know, where everybody's trying to impress. And if you're at the schoolhouse and you're an officer, how do you get a good evaluation? You change stuff. You change stuff. And and, yeah. and change is great if it makes sense. But if it's changed just to, for the sake of changing, then then you're just revolving door and, and, and you know. So there are problems with that. But the, the, the officer, of course, is very cutthroat in the U.S. Army, I think. Well, I just I always thought it was bizarre that in special forces as a command that everything felt so per- uh, temporary. Mm-hmm. Like you go to a team and you know you only have so much time before you have to leave. Yeah. And I thought to myself, like, it, it should be like the A team, the TV show. Yeah. Where you get on a team, these are your guys, and you stay on the team as long as you want. That's the way it should be. Like, why would you? Why would you not solidify a position? in a team where you would stay on that team, have continuity, work with the same indige, work the same rotations, the same areas of operation, take advantage of the cultural diversity in the team, and then your team stays together and you Mm -hmm. work through the ranks on your team. I mean, there's different units that do that. It's like Special Forces Command is so temporary. I tried to stay on my team as a team sergeant and they wouldn't let me. Yeah. Did two years and they're like, no, you need to be at first sergeant. Because you, know? you have to move on because to get your rank. Because you have to move up. Yep. That's so bizarre. I, I never understood that in the U.S. Army because, um, you know, and I, I have context because I've been in two different armies. So like in the Irish Army, you could stay as a private driving a truck for your whole career if that's what you wanted that's amazing. to do. And the guy was awesome at it. He knew everything about that truck and he was happy and he got his pay raise every year or whatever, right? But the U.S. Army has this move up or move out mentality. If you don't make rank by a certain time, you're kicked out of the Army. Bizarre. Not everybody's a leader. Yeah. Some guys are followers and they're damn good followers, you know? Like so Neil. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you force people to get promoted and then they fuck up because they never should have been promoted. I remember when I was a squad leader in the infantry, I had a E4 
And they were like, he needs to go to the E5 board. And I'm like, he shouldn't be a sergeant. And they're like, well, he has to go. So I brought him to the to the board. And they had the board there. And they're like, you know, me as a squad leader, I had to go in and represent him, right? So I go in first. And they're like, why should he be an NCO? And I'm like, he shouldn't be. <laughs> they're forcing me to bring him here, you know? Yeah. I never understood that mentality. You have to get promoted by a certain time in service or you're kicked out. That's so bizarre. It's fucking like if you want to be like Neil is the perfect example because yeah. he just wanted. He said to me a hundred times, mm-hmm. "I just want to be a team guy, yeah. team time." Yeah, and he's yeah. got he's got more team time than anybody I know. He's got so, more combat. So you <laughs> know when you were in right, you have to validate your records. So it goes to a board, a centralized promotion for E seven, E eight, E nine, right? So guys in my team would be like they'd be E sevens, and they don't want to make E eight because. They've they only got 10 time. years in the army. You make E8, you do two years as a team sergeant, now you have 12 years, now you got eight years of staff time. Yeah. They're like, I'm not updating my records. I'm like, good for you. But you get NCOs that will crush them if they don't update their records because it is mentality. Well, now I, I declined my records review for sergeant major like five years in a row. Don't want to be considered. Don't want to be, because I don't want to be a sergeant major, right? For my own personal reasons. Yeah. But now you can decline it all you want. They still send it to the board. You have no fucking choice. So if you Isn't decline that it, b- b- bizarre? it's fucked up. And then when you when you pin on Sergeant Major, you 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 owe the government a couple more years now, you know. And if you if you get promoted to Sergeant Major and you decline it, you got six months to get be out of the army. That's Done. so insane. Oh, that's fucked up. It, it really is, you know. And then the other thing, now that we're on it, because you got me on a roll. The other thing I don't understand is forcing people to PCS. PCS is permanent change of station every three years. So every three years in the army, you got to go to a new place, right? So you got to move you, your car, your household goods, and your whole family from North Carolina to fucking Hawaii. You know how much billions and billions of dollars that costs a taxpayer? That's insane. Right? So I went to Fort Bragg in 2002 the SF and I've been there since, right? Yeah. Because I didn't want to fucking move because I went to Fort Hood in my first duty station. Then I went to Germany. And then I went to Bragg, right? And I've stayed there. But most people in the army have to move every three years. Now, I get that you need a diverse kind of, but you take the 82nd Airborne, you can move people within the 82nd Airborne for a co- and get diverse jobs in, and your ex- own unit. in your own fucking unit, right? Or, or PCS people every six years. And what you're doing when you move people every three years, pulling your kids out of high school, you're disrupting family life. It's very bad for family structure in a job that's already hard on families, you know? Yeah. So I just don't get that fucking mentality either, yeah. you Let's know? move the whole family and yeah. displace every, everybody Dude, and by the time family. you get there and get your, sh- your household goods shipped and unpack, you're almost looking at moving again. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. That's insane. And you, and when we talk about the uh, continuity of having guys on teams, officers, for people who don't know, they do two years of team mm-hmm. time. Yeah. That's it. Two yeah. years of team time, and then they have to move on to yeah. the advanced course, yeah. and then they go to the uh, company commander. Personally, I think an officer should have to be enlisted first. Yeah. I, I really do. In special I, forces? I think you, no, in, in the Army. In the period. Army period. I think you should have to go through that, you know, Would junior you, enlisted life for a it's, couple of years. It's never made sense. An officer who, you know, a guy who goes to basic training, yeah. he goes to the advanced course or officer candidate school yeah. even, mm-hmm. and then and then goes to basic, in this case, like, uh, 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 what is it? The infantry uh, basics course, mm-hmm. uh, IBC. After that, they have the opportunity to go to ranger school and then they get to their unit and then they're a second lieutenant or maybe first lieutenant and they have a platoon. 
And they're in charge. They're in charge of so a platoon. So you take me, 24 years in the army, right? Master Sergeant, you get a lieutenant who graduates and he's 20 or whatever he is. Yeah. And he's in charge, technically. Oh, now, yeah. No lieutenant is right mind to tell me what to do because I'm the fuck off. But yeah. Technically, he's in charge, right? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? It comes from back in the day when en enlisted were not educated and officers had an education. You needed people who were educated to run yeah. things, right? That's no longer the case. There's yeah. a lot of enlisted that have college degrees now, you know, but it'll never change. It's, it's I always talked about it, like I used to talk about it 10 years ago with you, where just the title, it's like, we want to be too proud of the non-commissioned officer corps. Mm -hmm. I'm like, we're the non Commission yeah. officer. Yeah, yeah. We're the, we're yeah. the, so you have commission officers who get all the respect and all the rank and then all the authority, mm -hmm. but we're the non versions of that. Yeah, it's yeah. like I always thought in special forces, especially, that we should be uh, creating a GS rank structure. Because when you create, if, like, say, let's say you make it special forces, go through the Q course, and they laterally transfer you into a government position and you're a GS 9, mm -hmm. for example, which is a standard team guy. And then you get into positions of, uh, managerial positions, which would be a team sergeant at GS-10, GS-11, GS-12, that construct allows you to do so many things like maintain the integrity of the unit because there's no requirement for the DOD to push you or move you and you're just a government entity. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, in fact, I know a lot of the units that are originally standing up were actually thinking about going that route. And I always thought it, it should happen mm -hmm. because the problem with Special Forces Command is we belong to the Department of the Army mm -hmm. and other units in special operations don't. Yeah. And so when you, when you still belong to the Department of the Army, and we talked about this the other day, you're just not that cool. Yeah. You, 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 no matter how hard you try, mm -hmm. no matter what you do, you're still dealing with big army bullshit. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The uh, it, it's funny when you get to the end of your career and you look back with context. You know, um, the Irish Army was much worse with the officer thing because when Ireland got its independence from England, it took over English rank structure and weapons and uniforms, and it almost looked like the British Army, right? Yeah. But the British Army is very officer enlisted, class structured. You know what I mean? Officers it's like a social are, class. Oh yeah. my God! Like. In the Irish Army, when I, when I was there, I don't know what it's like now, but it's probably the same. Like, when I was in the infantry, the company plus on the border unit that I was in had a mess hall for enlisted, a mess hall yeah. for NCOs, and a mess hall for officers. So the enlisted went in and, and lined up with their trail like everybody does. Like in the American Army, everybody goes. The general goes to the same child hall as the, the enlisted, which is the way it should be, right? But the, the enlisted lined up with their trays. The NCOs went in and sat down. And they had like a waiter come up and ask them what they want. And they brought them their food. Then the officer's mess was completely out of control with white, white tablecloths yeah. and menus and fucking ridiculous, you know, yeah. absolutely ridiculous and unneeded. And it creates that them and us mentality, you know. Um, I remember being in Lebanon in 1987 with uh, the infantry and uh, we were on a platoon. We had a whole platoon in a, in a building in a, in a South Lebanese town, right? And uh, there was like six or eight of us crammed into a tiny room, privates. And our officer, a lieutenant or lieutenant, had a massive big room to himself with a table and all that. You know what I mean? And, and, and at the time, because it's normal and that's just the way you're trained, you didn't even think much of it, you know. But now I look back, I'm like, that was fucked up. Like him, even if that's what he took over, him as a good officer, and he was a good officer, or he was considered a good officer, he should have been like, this is fucked up. I'll take this little small room. All you motherfuckers take that, right? Um, but that never happened. The other thing that never happened was 
we were doing like 12 hours on, 12 hours off, guard shifts on the roof, uh, patrols in the village, checkpoints uh, in this local checkpoint. We were just working ourselves fucking to death. Never once did that officer come down and relieve that NCO on the checkpoint and say, hey, I wouldn't expect them to be on the guard roster. I wouldn't expect them to be on the, the checkpoint roster. Or, But, you know, how hard would it be to go down there and say, hey, I got this, man. You've been working your ass off. I got this checkpoint Take for you tonight. Take care of the boys. Take care of the boys, you know what I mean? But I learned a lot from that on how leadership should be, man. I mean, when I was the first sergeant out of Camp McCall, I was in mopping the floor one night and all these privates were walking past me and they were looking at me like it was crazy. I was like, What's wrong? You never seen a uh, first arm mop the floor? And they're like, no, first arm. We never saw it. That's true. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. We forget. Um, I mean, our time in the big army, the big army was like that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The big yeah. army was very, I mean, you didn't even talk to your company commander. Yeah, I remember my platoon sergeant in an E7, who's the almost the base rank itself, right? At yeah. E7. I remember him. He'd sit at his desk with his feet up reading the paper and do jack shit. And he was the man. He's like, the god. You, you didn't dare talk to him, you know? Yeah. But it is what it is. The army works. But uh, when I look back at it in hindsight, yeah, there, there's there's stuff that I would, if I was king for a day, I'd change. Is there any regrets uh, in your military experience in the, in the U.S. Army? Is there anything that you wish you did that you didn't do? I, I, I'm not a real share guy, but I, I think, and people have asked me, you know, starting off in their soft career for advice, and I always tell them, you got to strike a balance between family life and work, right? You can't let the military take over your life completely. You can be a hard worker and you can be conscientious, but you don't need to put, the military doesn't need to control every thought in your head 24-7. And, and after, like, uh, you know, deploying and deploying and deploying and deploying and deploying and then going to the schoolhouse should have been a break for me, but I put a lot more hours in than I should have. I didn't strike. I, I feel now that I didn't strike a good balance between family and um, work life. And if you can strike, some guys can strike that balance, you know, and you probably didn't strike that balance very well either, you know, when you were younger, but that that's what I would do differently. I would change that and uh, I, I would try to strike a better balance. How, how does somebody strike a better balance? Is it just understanding? And, and I wish people would understand this, that especially I have, because I have a similar uh, regret or remorse in this, that it, it's just a job. Yeah. No matter how, how high it speed is. the lifestyle mm -hmm. is, because the culture does take over, the lifestyle takes over, it's a fucking job. Yeah, that's all. It's a job. Yeah. You the know? machine keeps moving. It does. And when it spits you out. Yeah. When I, when I, uh, I'm being medically retired. When I got accepted for medical retirement, I put a guy into the job that I was in and I and they drove on. They didn't skip a beat, you know? And yeah. that's, that's across the board. You finish with your team's hard. And time. we never think that though. Nah, I know. No. Nah, I know. And we were at war a lot too, yeah. you know? But, uh, and you got that warrior mentality and all that, but, but you got to strike a balance because the army ends. It ends at a certain point and you're a civilian and, and, there's other things that are just as important or more important, I think. I do too now. Um, mm -hmm. we're, and, you know, we used to talk about a lot of the lineage that we had on our teams in Esprit de Corps uh, was based off of uh, cultures and military units during World War II. And a lot of the, the way that the military operates, even in the standing up of an organization through unit insignia and historical uh, relevancy, is is really a means to 
um, bring you into the fold mm-hmm. and make you part, make you feel like you're part of something yeah. special, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is there some kind of brainwashing in that? Like I like I feel like 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 people. The reason I ask that is because I feel like people buy into the shit, right? We did, we did. But but I, but I at will the end tell of you, it, people ask me about, oh, my son wants to go in the Motri, and you know, I don't know if I would do that. Or I, the, the draw to serve, especially in a young man, is very powerful, man. I was going to the French Foreign Legion a couple of times, man. If yeah. I couldn't get into something else, because that draw to serve. And be in battle, it's so overwhelming, you know, for some people. Some people join the army. A lot of people join the army for a job to get college money or mm-hmm. whatever whatever they do. And that's great. Good for you. But uh, that draw to serve is very hard. And had neither one of us joined the army and did it, we'd be sitting here now. We'd probably be more wealthy than we are right now. But we'd have regret. We'd have massive regret yeah, that I never true. did it, you know. Yeah. So we, we lost out on, on um, memories, but we replaced them with other memories that are they're also very very cool right yeah. um we did some cool shit we really did no I, I i i'm retiring right now with dozens of injuries <laughs> like yeah. literally dozens of injuries you know neck injuries and back injuries and, and knees and feet and all kinds of crap you know so it does take a toll on you it really does you know i i i think about you know it's it's funny you just pointed that out which is that we did it at some point for a reason, and and really, there's no alternative. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the alternative for a young man or woman who feels the need to serve, the need to fight, yeah, and they don't have an outlet for that? Yeah, it, I, I I deal with it on daily basis with people in direct messaging, which mm-hmm. is which is aggressive. Where I feel like society as a whole. Is searching for that, yeah, and we got a lot of that out of our system. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to be a farmer. You yeah. know, like it might on the the evolution of my uh, life in phases is like phase one, you're a warrior, you fight, you're a fighter. Phase two, you're a trainer, you're an instructor, mm-hmm. you're giving back, you're a teacher, and then phase three is like you're retired, doing something that living in peace. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I feel sorry for these media influencers. Who pretend to be us? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I feel sorry that the only outlet you have is playing me on a fucking video. Game. <laughs> it, it it just sounds ridiculous, but that's the most part mm. a, a a big pacifist com, uh, portion of our society. Yeah, yeah, and so they only get to pretend or emulate. Yeah, like yeah. you could play the part because you could dress up the part, mm-hmm. and then you could pretend the part. Mm. But it's got to be agonizing, mm. like to yeah. lay your head on a fucking pillow and realize you'll never fucking live. Yeah, that's true. You'll uh-huh. never hang your feet off a fucking M860 and fly into battle. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you think back on it, like we thought we were doing the Lord's work at one point. We were. We did some great shit. We thought we were shit, crusaders. You know, we did. We, we thought, we, and we did some good shit, man. We, 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 we ended some people who needed to get fucking ended, you know? Yeah. But um, at a certain point, you move on. It's people who can't put that down, I think, that yeah. have problems later on. And a lot of times people get out too early so they think they're missing something. That's not the case with me, man. I probably should have got out before I'm getting out now, but I'm ready to move on personally. Well, it felt, it, it, for just looking at your situation in hindsight, it, it seems like a very good scale to fall off and just walk away. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's not like it's not like one day you were like a thousand miles an hour, you get off the C seventeen mm-hmm. and you're like, fuck. Yeah. It's it, you progressively took this 
Yeah, I've been it's, writing a desk for a couple of years. Yeah, you but know? giving back to the force is yeah, something relevant. Trying to, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. you just did it into a, a different form. Yeah, yeah. And and once you uh, once you 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 get to a point where it's just you're pissed off all the time, like, and that's where I was. I was fucking angry, and and I, it's time to go. It's time to move on. You know. Yeah. Um, out of your entire military career, what's your favorite? What's your favorite moments in your military career? I think you asked me this last time, 2007, man. That, 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 did I ask you this? I think so. Okay. But that, that tour in 2007, that we, now we did multiple tours and we did a lot of cool shit in 2006 and all that, but in 2007, it all seemed to come together. Yeah. We were losing the war in Iraq in 2007 mm-hmm. and we were basically, the gloves were taken off. We were told to go do our thing, right? So that, that right place, right time, right teammates, right mentality of the team, the warrior mentality that that team had at the time. Aggressive. Aggressive, very aggressive. And um, the backing of our chain of command where we went out and we fucking, nobody second-guessed us and nobody questioned us. And uh, the assets we had for every mission, like we did boat missions in Baghdad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was crazy. So um, that, it all seemed to come together in that tour. You know what I mean? I, I did cool shit. Like I said, I worked at sniper school for a couple of years and, you know, I did other jobs and I bounced around a lot. 24 years is a long time, but it all seemed to come together in that summer you yeah. know and uh, we took a heavy i mean we i think we had 12 purple hearts total mm-hmm. because of the the one side mm-hmm. uh and we lost justin monsky that yeah, year yeah so it was just a bad year yeah uh, i mean not a bad year in the sense of when when you compare it to how many people we killed oh yeah bad guys oh it can, uh, yeah, okay, yeah you can't even no yeah no um yeah i would say the same similar experience so it's just mm-hmm. a great year for combat. Good dudes, good, good, yeah. good camaraderie, you know. Even though at one point we thought it was, we were like questioning whether it was good or bad. I know, I know. Never satisfied, man. That, that yeah. comes, that comes with that. Maybe part. that's part of the culture. It is. It's you know, it's funny because working a staff job and you know dealing with all the first man. Like I would get calls from people freaking out because this young weapon sergeant on a team like tried to buy gun parts with his government credit card and fixes guns on his team with civilian parts like they're totally yeah. illegal and people would be freaking out be like fucking stop these are the traits that we hire these guys for this yeah. this is the package that green beret comes in yeah figure shit out get it done make it work yeah. fix it for your and team we're gonna punish him so, yeah we're gonna punish him like stop so i'd call him i'd be like dude you can't do that man you're going to jail stop <laughs> yeah and they're like Roger and then, then it'd be all done right yeah, you yeah. know but people freak out oh yeah. this guy's doing it stop man okay so he took a fucking civilian upper down range. Get over, get over it, know. you know? Fucking stop. I just don't understand that. Like they well, teach it, it in the Q course. There's a very, there's a very, I don't know if it's an American culture, but it's definitely a military culture that you, you got to punish people, man. If they, if they slightly step out of line, you got to make somebody pay, you know? And, and, I, and we're I, ending these dudes' lives. Yeah. Ending their careers and it, it's yeah. just... People fuck up, man, you know? Yeah. Um, I've never understood that either. Hmm, yeah. There's certain things that you can't come back from, you know? But uh, like you beat your wife or something like that, you're done, right? Yeah. You're done. You can't have guys like that and stuff, right? But if you if you uh, manipulate things for mission accomplishment, they're, they're the traits you hire a Green Beret for. Get yeah. Mission accomplishment, get shit done, yeah. you know? So, it's never called stealing. It's called acquisition and acquiring. It's called, yeah, um, acquiring. Yeah, acquiring. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think the outlook is for special operators? You heard the Tom Satterley podcast, and Tom is a former command sergeant major, unit retired, 
was in Black Hawk Down, long career, he goes 100 to zero. Mm -hmm. A lot of our peers who are getting out in the next um, five years, that's about it, and that are were our peers who are sergeant majors now, command sergeant majors tomorrow. What's their What's the outlook? I, I think, and if you had advice for them, what would it be? See, I think we well, I, I think we got to get better at educating people. And I heard Chad Robichaud talking about he goes to the Marine Corps and talks to kids at the start. Somebody like Chad needs to go talk to the Q course and say, look, here's what you're going to experience, whether you fucking like it or not. And you can be a warrior, but you're still going to yeah. experience these things, you know? And yeah. we need to educate people earlier. Um, I, 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 I don't know how to help people other than trying to educate them with, with, with podcasts and stuff like that because a lot of things weren't making sense to me and then i listened to the podcast you did with chad and I, and i've told other people to listen to it hey listen to this podcast and they've all come back and said that was very very helpful you know what i mean so um if you know i heard uh who was it somebody did a podcast who it was and said part of my therapy is giving back right yeah and and uh I think the more we try to educate and help people that, that they're our brothers, right? And they're going, whether, I don't give a fuck who you are, you're going to, to go through a transition period where shit's going to get fucked up and you think you're the only one. And then when you hear that guys like Mike Glover had problems too, you know what I mean? It it, it makes it make more sense, you know? Yeah. Um. So I, I, I think we continue to educate, but I think the Q course has got to get better at, in, in the, the early stages on educating people on stuff to look for going forward, you know, and maybe even pulling in spouses and saying, look, here's what this guy's going to do. Because Green Berets are still going all over the world into dangerous places and getting shot at. That's just the, the, the life they chose, right? Um, so I, I think an education piece. But there is a lot of war fighters who caught the brunt of the war getting out right now. And uh, if they're not careful, if they don't have somewhere to go, like, I mean, right out the gate, not I'll take a year off and fucking figure it out. No, yeah. man, that's a deep, dark hole, It's like the man. next day. Dude, You're it in is. danger. And you're like, okay, I binge watch fucking The Office. And now what do I do, you know? Yeah. Um, you need to be able to step. And luckily, you hooked me up, you know? When I reached out to you, you're like, dude, come work for me, you know? Because if I had nowhere to go, because there are certain things I won't fucking do, because it will be almost worse than fucking being at home and, and watching TV working in a shit job where some little piece of shit's telling me what to do and I want to punch him in the fucking mouth, you know? Um, I, I think if people don't have something to go to before they get out, then uh, they're, they're going to run into issues. Yeah. Oh, that's it's scary. It's that loss of sense of purpose, man. Yeah. It's, it, it is. I, I think the military as a whole does a poor job on the infill, on the introduction to mm -hmm. what we're going to face mm -hmm. and just being real dishonest about not telling these guys what to expect. Yeah. I think if I had somebody in the beginning of all this journey. But they didn't know. Explain. It's, yeah. It's somewhat new. They know now. Yeah. They know they now. They definitely know yeah, now. Yeah. Um, but when you got in the army, it was the Clinton peacetime yeah. army. Yeah. Right? Um, but they know now. They yeah. know now that there's enough of a pattern. You know, when I talk to people and uh, like they sent me to a shrink for TBI and PTSD, right? And I talked to this, this, uh, female psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever and she's like it's like check the box for you guys it's all the same for soft guys the exact same issues across the board you know what I mean yeah. for everyone it's crazy um, yeah we're, I talked to a psychologist recently uh, that was evaluating me for um, TBI yeah and she was 
she said, do you experience this? Yeah. Like, yes. Do you experience this? Yes. And then she started digging deeper and she's like, let me guess. When you feel like something is going wrong, you burn down the entire home. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have mm-hmm. this way in, in which you build up and then you don't have an out. So you just try to burn it down. Like yeah. you just try to get, get away. Well, the, 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 the doctor I talked to actually put it in perspective for me. She said that anger is an acceptable emotion in our community, right? Empathy and sadness and depression, they're not acceptable. So everything, every feeling you have gets funneled to anger. So your immediate response is fucking detonate. And that's yeah. where I was. I was fucking yeah. detonating on everybody. I was detonating on fucking senior fucking officers, you know, because that's an acceptable emotion in our community, whereas these other things are. Yeah. So everything gets funneled that way. And that's why anger is such a problem with guys like us, you yeah. know. It doesn't really work well with civilians. No, it doesn't. Yeah. No, no. E- um, even I noticed when I got off of active duty, even just being, I've had people um, complain about me because I looked them in the eyes and and shook their hand firmly. Yeah. Straight up. Uh, like I was too, what are we I, doing? I just seemed aggressive. What are we doing? It's like, America, and it wasn't man. even aggressive confrontation. It was a meeting. Yeah. It's like, he just seemed a little aggressive. Wow. Like, what the fuck does that what even mean? What the hell? Yeah. So I, I could see that though. And, and it's weird is what I tell people is this environment, which is the civilian life, is a different area of operation. Mm-hmm. And we have to learn how to operate yeah. in it. Yeah. Because the answer is not fuck everybody. I'm mm-hmm. suppressing my my myself because I don't want to deal with this bullshit. I'll just get a cabin in the middle of the woods. You will not live long. Yeah, it yeah. won't last long. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can't isolate. You just got to figure out a way to circumnavigate and adapt to yeah, that. It's a, new yeah, AO. adapt is the right word. You yeah. got to adapt to a new life. You know. Yeah, it's so weird though. Yeah, it is adaptation <laughs> in this world. Like sometimes I'm like in this world doing what normal people do mm-hmm. and i feel so out of t- touch know, with right? that normalcy yeah i mean i'm sitting there just by a fire like drinking a glass of wine and i'm like this just feels fucking neither weird. one of us are drinkers man that that yeah. alcohol is a depressant man i, I can't I, drink I, yeah. if we were drinkers i think that that causes so many problems with guys like us you know they self-medicate yeah. with alcohol and it well think about the dudes that we knew on active duty who mm-hmm. that was part of their culture yeah they yeah. thought the. it's funny because i've seen guys who are not necessarily drinkers but their followers yeah. fall into yeah. that and then become one of them i've had that like because i was older when i got the sf because i my whole background like i remember guys saying oh you know drink beer you know done range and i'll be like no i'm good and they were like, come on, man. We fucking, the team drinks beer together. And you can't intimidate me. You yeah, know, I'm older. Way. You can go fuck yourself, yeah. man, you know. But these young guys come in, these x-rays. And I used to try and tell them that when I was the first hour. I used to try and mentor them a little bit. I'd say, look, you're going to get pressure from this. If you're uncomfortable with it, don't do it, man. If they don't fucking respect your opinion, fuck them. Find yeah. a different team with a different culture. Because teams have personalities. Do, and it's yeah. usually driven, not even necessarily by the team star, but by the strongest personality on that team, you know? Yeah. drives the, But don't get pushed into doing something you don't want to do just because you want to fit in, you know? Uh, be, seen, be stronger. We've seen alcohol destroy teams, destroy people's lives. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. probably the worst thing that uh, I've seen affect oh, uh, yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people get fired for it, and and, and it's just yeah. What, what I always, I, I was always curious to this. I always went, you, if you look at risk, and I, I think about this in the in the context of survival too. If you look at risk or statistical probabilities of risk, and alcohol is getting the most uh, number of people kicked out of the military, mm-hmm. 
just don't drink and that fixes all your problems. I know, right? Yeah. You, you have yeah. a 99% chance you're just going to be successful because you yeah. don't drink. And you can still socialize. Is your personality so bad that you can't socialize without drinking? Yeah. You know, okay, it's so bizarre you know? to me, man. I remember being on a certain mission one time. I'm not going to say where or when, but um, I would lock my door at night and there was a bunch of different units from different services on this base. And drinking was allowed because of where we were. And I would lock my door and try to go to sleep. And it was like, it reminded me of, what's that movie with Will Smith? I Am Legend. Remember he crawls up in the bath and yeah. all, all hell's breaking loose outside and screaming movie. and shouting. It was yeah. like that, man. I was like, what's going on? I remember I get up one morning at like five o'clock in the morning to do PT and I came down and there was a picnic bench there and it was on fire. And there was, oh my. there was two people passed out beside it. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? You know? <laughs> this is war. I know, right? It's like Vietnam, man. Oh my God. I, I, yeah. I never understood it. And it's uh, what's great about that is when you when you just make the decision in advance yeah, what yeah. kind of person you're going to be, mm-hmm. it's not that difficult to no, execute. it's not. Yeah, you just got to be a strong. You yeah. know? And, and the, the U.S. Army has General Order number one, right? There's no alcohol anywhere you Ever. go, right? Yeah. Now... SF guys being SF guys are going to circumvent. But if you if you allow it, then you open the floodgates and it gets out of control. If you if you say you're not allowed to drink, you drive it on the ground generally, and it's it's very very subdued, and people know they're going to get crushed if they get caught. You know, so it's a good rule. It's a good fucking rule. You know. Well, I'm excited about. We had talked about it on a run, um, which wasn't a very fast run. That's why we were able to talk about it. <laughs> um, that we're going to do a leadership podcast next. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to Texas. Uh, I'll be in Dallas, Texas. Man, how about that shooting in Dallas, Texas, that church shooting? That was crazy, man. Right could, outside of Dow- Dallas. Dude, that, that old boy could shoot. That was a good shot. One shot. One shot across an open room full in of the people. Face. Headshot. Headshot. I was like, damn. And, uh, and he, what, what's crazy is the dude spun, turned, and started movement, and yeah. he, he hit him on the and move. He hit him quick. Fast. Because you got you to gotta take a couple of seconds to process what's going on. Yeah. You got to draw. And you got to drop that guy. That's a great example, but of how God. a good guy with a gun is the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun. I know. The only thing. If that church was in New Jersey, fucking dozens of people would be dead. Absolutely. You know, because Absolutely. you're not allowed to have a gun. It's fucking ridiculous. Well, the, the narrative that banning guns from law-abiding citizens is going to reduce gun rights is just fucking bullshit. What's crazy is last September, it, it might have been the year before, but it was September Joe Biden came out and yeah. they, I just saw the interview where they said where he was responding to the governor of Texas yep. where he said people in churches can be armed. Yep. And he made the law. Yes. Very clear. Good for him. Good for him. Yep. And Biden was like, it's mm-hmm. reckless. Yeah. How yeah. could we let, allow people to have guns in a place That's of worship? dumbass who has armed guards everywhere he goes. Yeah. Armed Fuck. bodyguards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, big kudos to that dude. And what, what I like about it even more is the fact, you know, unfortunately, two people lost their lives, um, but he shoots the bad guy and he advances. Mm-hmm. You, you know, he's in it. Yeah. You know, he's not, there's no passive, mm-hmm. he's committed to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think, I hear these kids talk about how they want to be the shield, right? They want to be the shield between good and evil. Um, they don't have a, a real grasp of the context of what it takes to do something like that. Mm-hmm. We knew it prior the feeling leading up to the moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and then yeah. you take some dude's life and it's like, you either got it or you don't. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you can't pretend. You mm-hmm. can pretend to emulate paper and steel. It's not the same. No, it's not. No. Um, but this guy, he took the dude's life. 
um, justifyingly and then advanced and moved towards the threat, yeah. there, which, I, which I loved. Yeah. Um, I'll be at 5.11 Tactical on Friday, which is in a couple days, uh, which will be January 3rd for you guys listening to this, at 5.11 Tactical, real close to where this took place. Uh, this has all been set in advance, obviously. This is nothing after the fact. Teaching from 5 to 6.30, stop the bleed, and kind of a survival seminar. And I'm also be teaching pistol and carbine in Dallas, uh, thanks to Triarch. Triarch is hosting this range, and I do want to give a big shout out uh, to Triarch. They've been a good sponsor for us in 2019. They've been, they've treated us really well. They're good dudes, making good quality equipment, um, and I have nothing bad to say about those dudes. We ran. I've ran their pistol all of 2019. I ran their carbine, which I'll be using both of those pistol and carbine at the range uh, this January 4th and 5th. Uh, and by the way, there's a coupon code. Um, you know, Phil Craft, one word, saves 5% on any build. And I, I'm excited to be in Dallas. But when this happened, we sold out right after. And I hate that that's kind of like the business. Like th- that business elevates based on tragedy. But the fact that people want to get off their ass and train. I think it makes it more real for people. Be yeah. Like, oh my God, that's only down the road. That could happen to me. Yeah. Like even I find myself sometimes and I have a carry permit and I carry a lot. But sometimes I'll go to Walmart and I'll leave the gun in the truck. Yeah. No more, man. No, no more. more. No more. Because, yeah. You know? You're just talking to Pete recently, mm-hmm. a buddy of ours. Yeah, and, that was crazy. And he, what, what was On the circumstance? Sunday morning, I was uh, visiting a good friend of mine, a special operations guy, and on... Saturday night in Oklahoma and Sunday morning I drove up here and he was going to church and he was telling me he provides security at his church and him and a couple of other uh, parishioners they, they they carry in the church and because he was like you never know this is before this happened you know but um yeah if, if you never know there's a lot of fucking stupid crazy people out there so you yeah gotta, you gotta be ready I'm excited to get you in the 2020 fold of training and getting mm-hmm. out there on the range, and because I noticed that when you're teaching, you're happy, the, you're the happiest man. because you're giving back. You're giving mm-hmm. back. Yep. Um, I'm super looking forward to that, man. Um, we're an hour and twenty in this podcast right now. Damn, that went by fast. Fuck yeah. This is the uh, New Year podcast, and I just want to say Happy New Year to everybody in 2020. We have a lot of training lined up. Survival. Um, we're, we're having Kevin Estella come in for the tribe, which is just a, a small group of um, um, closely knitted people in our community. We're going to get bushcraft from Kevin Estella in April. We'll also be offering this new first response survival course, DMR. Uh, I'll also be teaching survival, a two-day survival course, probably four times a year. Mm-hmm. We got our standard pistol and carbine uh, the entire year. We'll be at Overland Expo. We'll be at Fort Benning, Georgia in May Crazy. for you get... Oh, congratulations. I'll say congratulations to you. Thanks. Well, you got the Carlos Hathcock Award. I did. For what? What, what is... Tell it's us about for a uh, significant contribution to the sniper community over... It's like a Lifetime Achievement Award type of thing, you know? Yeah. But it's based on the stuff that I did at Range 37, modernizing that course, and then working through programs like the ASR and 6.5 and optics and all the stuff I did at first mod, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's super and it's, humbling. It's, it's for people who have made special contributions above and beyond yeah. in the world of sniping, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's open to SWAT, military, or is yeah. it just military snipers? Um, it's anybody. Yeah. It's anybody. It's anybody. Yeah. Anybody. Who are past people who've earned that award? 
Brian Litz, I think, won it last year. Todd Hadnett won it. Carlos wow. Hathcock won it the first year it was That's done, crazy. you know. But you can look it up there. It's only been going since uh, like 10 years or 15 years or something like that. That's amazing, know? man. That's but, well uh, deserved. It's super humbling, and there'll be a function that uh, we, we'll, we'll attend. And, yeah, uh, Fort Benning, it, it's Georgia, just, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, like I said, when you come out of the military, you need... You need a community of like-minded people. That's and the community. That, well, it's this community here in Fieldcraft, and it's yeah. the gun community because there's some great dudes involved in the gun community. You know, just uh, so as we go into 2020, we'd like to take long gun on the road as well. Yeah. So if you have a, but we need a range. If you want to run long gun, I would like 800 to a thousand yards at least for DMR. We can do 500 yards. Um, but for long gun, you need a classroom as well. So if you want us to come to your location and you have a classroom and a decent range, hit us up, man, and, and uh, it's possible we could we could travel and bring our, our spot and scopes and kestrels and, and run a two-day long gun course. Yeah, I think we're going to actually start this uh, on the East Coast. One of the classes that we got lined out is in Lawrence, South Carolina, with a company called Sawmill TTC. It's a training facility in Lawrence, uh, South Carolina. And... Um, We'll get together on a schedule, but they have a they have a fourteen hundred meter range mm -hmm. uh, that we're going to kick it off with. But we'll uh, we, be on the we, east coast uh, this year. We do, we do have a couple of guns for rent too with optics that that uh, if if you don't have a long gun, you don't know what to buy, then uh, we could rent you a gun for today, and you, we can give you some advice on what to buy. You know? That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, you guys also make sure you check out our YouTube channel, Philcraft Survival, because we it's been blowing up and. Kevin's actually going to film a video, a short video for content for the IG, but later this week we'll be doing content for YouTube. And it's something that we all want you guys to be involved with because it allows us to teach you uh, techniques and procedures in a longer form version of just an Instagram post. You know, you, you, we kind of use Instagram just to highlight what we're doing on more long form content uh, applications or uh, forums. And YouTube is one of those. Like we don't have a requirement, like we're gonna do a 10 minute video. We're gonna do a 20 minute video. It's as long as it takes, depending on what we're teaching. And uh, Kevin will be heavily involved in uh, the the content for YouTube podcast and the list goes on. It's gonna be awesome. How many how many uh, Kill Cliff drinks have you drank since you've been here? Just one, this one, this recovery it one. It hasn't done anything, you're sleeping. I'm not. There's only 25 milligrams in that. I need to get you hyped up with an Ignite, which is the, I think it's 300 milligrams. Bring it on. I'm, um, not, I'm not sleeping. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the hemp-infused uh, recovery drink, which has 25 milligrams of CBD. I've always been a fan of CBD because it reduces anxiety. For me, uh, specifically, it reduces anxiety. also helps with like muscle aches and pains. I use the salve version. I use the, the drop version, but I also enjoy a Kill Cliff 25 MGs. If you guys want to use Survival 1.0 on killcliff.com you could do that uh, killcliff supports the navy seal foundation we're strategic partners with them and we drink the crap out of their drinks so big shout out to killcliff.com survival one zero um 2020 man we're, we got a lot we got a lot of stuff to do i got a timeline table that i need to write up on the board for the four hour meet of the things that we have to accomplish it's crazy and you got like a thousand emails to to kick off yeah i'm excited man you got any last words for uh 2019 no Ah, uh, looking forward to it. Excited. Uh, just need to finish getting out of the army and and uh, get out of here full time. It's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be cool. It's gonna happen soon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, well. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, listen to the podcast. We appreciate everything you guys do for Philcraft Survival. PhilcraftSurvival dot com. Make sure you check out all of us on uh, Philcraft. That's Raul, Austin, George, uh, Kevin, everybody from Philcraft Survival. We appreciate you guys and hope you have a happy New Year.
Later, guys. 